0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey guys, welcome into the stinky truth podcast. I am Mark Schler alongside my partner, Mike Evans, Scott, the hub producing the show. Millennial Ben helping out as well. Like to thank our presenting sponsor, great folks, over at SuperBook, America's best bet trust SuperBook. Mike, how are you, my friend? Oh, I am doing well. I'm doing I have to say, I am enjoying to the hilt. Grab my popcorn and sit back and watch the back and forth on Twitter between you and Jets fan. Oh, I right? it has been epic. Yeah, I mean. It's, I mean, honestly, it's too easy. It's like stealing. I almost feel guilty um, about taking advantage of a fan base like this. And you know, you know what's funny to me, Mike? What's funny to me is like how triggered Jetfan is over something that I said on Pat McAfee's show. Yeah, I don't so, even know how it okay. started. So on Friday, I'm on Pat McAfee's show, and he's asking me about the draft, and he's asking me about, like, quarterbacks and, and all these things in general. So I was really speaking in generalities, but I mentioned the Jets. So the generality is this. We have become so enamored by the quarterback position – that we think we can draft any quarterback or we can elevate somebody who should be a second or third rounder and that guy is going to save our franchise. Right? We're going to elevate him to the top ten and he all of a sudden is going to become a unicorn. And it's fascinating to me because... I mean, we've seen everybody's seen. Hey, from 2009 to 2016, there were 22 quarterbacks taken to the first round. None of those guys are with the former, are with the teams that drafted them. There have been there have been five quarterbacks in the last seven, eight years, whatever it is, that have been elevated to top five draft picks. The RG threes of the world, the Mitch Trubisky's of the world. The, you know, I mean, there are there are, there are five of them. Not one of them is with the team that currently drafted them. So we elevate guys who probably shouldn't be drafted there because of the position they play, and then we want those guys to come save our franchise. Hey, there's a reason in the last 10 draft picks, or the last 10 drafts, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, have drafted eight times in the top 10. Here's the thing that fascinates me, Mike. That you put a a player in a position to lose, and then you act shock when that player loses, right? You put him in a position to fail, and then act shock when he fails. So my point was, you know, here's the Jets that didn't support Sam Darnold, that took him number three overall in 2018. They just canned him, and now they're going to do the same damn thing over again with Zach Wilson, And they expect different results. There are about four or five quarterbacks in the National Football League that can cover a wart. Every other quarterback exposes warts. If you're not very good around that quarterback, he will find a way to expose that wart. And so the odds of you finding that generational quarterback without addressing the other, you know, issues that you have on your football team. So I was just really talking in generalities. But, I mean, the... the, The Jets fans are so battered, you know, and they're so delusional. Like, people are coming at me like, oh, my gosh, you're biased. All the national media and the National Football League is biased against the Jets. The National Football League is a capitalist organization. So is the media, right? They want the New York teams to be successful. It's the biggest market in the NFL. Like, it's like— to. For you, like, it's delusional that you could even say that as a Jets fan. Like, we have a bias against the Jets who have never won anything. Like, it, here's like here's the way I think about that. Like, when a national media member is saying that the Jets suck, that's not bias. That's just reporting the news. That's what you've been forever. And so for people to come at me and to be so offended... By me talking about this herd mentality that that the league has, and especially the lower bottom feeding teams like the Jets and the Bengals and the Browns up to, to, you know, I mean, they made the playoffs last year, but for 25 years, just Drek. Like, it's fascinating to me. Now, far be it, I can't believe you've put me in a position where I have to defend a Jets fan, but here it goes you're leaving out one very important thing. You posted a video of you in your study wearing a Bronco helmet, flashing your three Super Bowl rings, and keep referencing the one that you won and along the way beat the Jets in the AFC Championship game, and as you were, shall I say, accentuating that Super Bowl ring, you kept lifting the finger that that Ring was on, right? It was the middle, which was, was the middle finger, right? It was the the one I put the the, the championship Super Bowl thirty three after we beat the Jets in the AFC Championship game. It just happened to be on the middle. It so just I, happened to be on the middle so finger. I, How did that happen? I don't know. But if you can't graciously, coincidence. If you can't graciously accept an apology, that's not my fault. <laughs> that is not. That's not my fault. Um you're good. Uh, You're good. Listen, You're man. good at this game. Right. And shame on the Jets fan who thinks that he or she's going to beat you at this game. Right. I mean, that. like, what you have to understand, and you know, this, you know this well, like, forget about my 12 years in the NFL. My college experience, my boys at the University of Idaho, my Vandal group, dude, they are unrelenting and ruthless. I mean... Every day you walked into the locker room, it was kill or be killed. You better strike first. And and they're still, I mean, it's still that way to this day. It's hilarious. And so I've been trained my entire adult life. Like, I walked out of, after playing high school football and you know, and I was, I redshirted, so I was five years of college football, then 12 years of professional football in a locker room, and then I walked out of that environment right into a locker room environment. My first 10 years of TV was not much different than, than a locker room. Now, things have changed to some degree because, you know, we've got a, everything is protocol and everybody's on their best behavior and, you know, a lot of things have changed, but I've spent my entire adult adult life in, in a locker room environment where it really is the best defense is a good offense. Get on the attack and go after people. Right. And so I get, you know, I get the smartest of the, you know, the smartest of the dumb kids coming after me on Twitter. Like, I'm like, give me a break. Sturdy wings. I mean, relax little fella. Uh, it, it, I mean they're it's, it's too easy. It's like stealing. It's so easy. You know, you were talking about the quarterbacks, uh, going high in the draft. Uh-huh. And I I want to reference Peter King's Football Morning in America article. I, I, I love right. reading that every day. He does such a great job with it. But this little nugget quote um, I have never seen quarterbacks get pushed up in the draft the way they're getting pushed up this year said one middle-aged coach whose team is in the market to draft a quarterback this year Quote, Trevor Lawrence deserves to be the number one pick. But after that, in my book, there's three receivers, a tight end, and two offensive tackles ahead of the next quarterback. But this desperation for quarterbacks, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, which is 100% real, right? It's 100% real. Now, you and I had an on-air argument on our radio show about what middle-aged is, and I had to smack you around a little bit because you were confused. You thought maybe that that comment was based on Vic Fangio. Right. Middle-aged, yeah. Yeah, because he's in his 60s. They go, that's not, That's old. That is like one of the oldest coaches in football. That's not middle-aged. And then we have this conversation. So I'm talking— Because <laughs> we're trying to figure out the identity of this, this coach. Right. Yes, yes. So, so But it, it led us to disagree on what middle-age is. Right. And middle age in the NFL— which I said was somewhere in the 40s and 50s. And you're like, no, no, it could be Vic Fangio. Or you even said Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, is yeah. Age. And I'm like, you're high. Those <laughs> guys are old as the hills. So what did I do? What did I do? Well, you went to the source like I, any good reporter. Yes, I went straight to Peter King. I said, I don't need to know who the, the, the said coach is, but what is your definition of middle age? And he said, 44 or 40. Did he say 45? forty-five to 55. fifty-five? Forty-five to fifty-five. So you and I, being the sleuths that oh, we are, we're like I the Hardy mean, Boys. The Hardy Boys got nothing on us. We started eliminating coaches. Then. That's right. Uh, that guy's too young. That guy's too old. Right. That guy's right. And we figured out exactly who that coach was. It was Matt and it Rule. It makes sense. And we settled on Matt Rule. There's no, there's no question. It's Matt Rule, and that's why they traded for Sam Darnold. And, that, and he was defending the reason why they they traded for Sam Darnold, yeah. saying that price is much better than the exorbitant price that we'd be paying for. The, one of these quarterbacks that quite likely will bust right to to move up. And what the San Francisco 49ers did. And I think this is interesting. This is an interesting take on, on the 49ers. When you are in a win now window and you're going to be in that window for three or four years, Mike, you can afford to trade draft capital for the next two or three years to get a quarterback that puts you in, to get a quarterback because you are in that window. So for them, they still have Jimmy Garoppolo who took him to a Super Bowl, but they can groom a young quarterback, whoever that is, whether it's Mac Jones or whether that's uh, you know a Trey Lance or whether that's Justin Fields. They can groom that guy for a year, you know and and you know that Jimmy Garoppolo's had a, a tough time staying healthy, so they can groom that guy for a year and use him if they need to use him, right? but they have they have got such a damn good roster. you're in a different position. I think it's much harder for a team like Carolina, to justify, who've got a lot of holes to fill. To justify, hey, let me move up from eight to four with Atlanta, and let me give up three first round. Let me swap first rounders, give up two four, more first rounders, and a third rounder like San Francisco did. That makes no sense when you have a lot of holes to fill. It's very much like the Rams. The Rams make sense to me. I'll give up two former or two first rounders in the in the upcoming draft because right now. I've got a young running back who's really good, a wide receiving core that aren't superstars, but they're all damn good football players, right? I've got a good offensive line. I've got two of the best players in the history of the National Football League playing defense for me in Aaron Donald. And, um, Jalen Ramsey, like, we're pretty solid. So we've got this window of a couple of years that we can win a championship, this championship window. So let's get us a quarterback that we think can take us to the next level. That makes sense to me. But it doesn't make sense to me, like, if you're Carolina or if you're Denver and you've got just a a, a ton of problems, a ton of issues that you have to address and, and to say, hey, man, let me give up a couple, three or four first-rounders in in subsequent years to go attack this position and then never support the player and turn into the Jets who have to give up on said player before they have to make a decision on paying him and go after another one and reset the clock. Unless you have, listen, again, unless your quarterback, unless you have a unicorn, The odds of that guy covering warts are very slim, especially as a young player. you got to support the player. And, you know, for people who point to Patrick Mahomes to me, let's not forget that that was a team winning 12 games a year that was already solid on the offense. They had both their tackles. They had a good offensive line. They had running backs. They had the best receiving core in football before Mahomes got there. So he was completely supported offensively. And, oh, by the way, He was mentored by Alex Smith, who knew he was going to take over for him when they got rid of him. And yet, he still did a great job of teaching a young player the nuance of playing football. The Broncos, uh, Bucks, and Seahawks have been the first teams to come out and say, We're not participating in the Mm -hmm. voluntary workouts that are scheduled to start around the NFL next week. And yeah. a teams issuing statements in which they talked about the um, the uptick in right. COVID cases in their respective communities and the sense that the, the, the players don't feel that there are enough safety protocols in place to go to the facilities and therefore they are choosing not to take part um, in in these these in person workouts that they will continue mm-hmm. on with a, a virtual program. Uh, do you? I guess a two part question for you. Do you believe these will be the only three teams that do this? No, I've already seen. I've already seen the Lions come out and say now they're not. Okay, doing so there are more teams. So to more follow. teams are going to do it. Do you? Do you believe the motivation? Do you believe it is simply about concerns over COVID in their communities? And whether or not they'll be safe enough to, to come to work? No, I, that that I I don't buy. I mean, I, I think that safety is is a problem. But I think you can go through every guy's you know Instagram page and see that he's you know traveling around the United States or traveling out of the country on, on beaches and doing all kinds of things. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say like you tell me you're just going to sequester at home and not do anything like. Are you still going to the grocery store? Are you still going? I think the, the facilities are probably the safest place there there is. We did get some clarification on our show um, that a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's not just the safety and all those things. It's the fact that the league has not given the players the protocol that that they're going to adhere to. So the league is saying, or the teams are saying, hey, come Monday, we're going to open up the facility to work out. And the players are going... Is there testing? What are the protocols? When do we show up? Will we be tested? Do we have to sit? Like, what's the, like? Am I going to leave where I happen to live in the off season, come to work out on Monday, and sit around and, and not get anything done? Like, is my time better served staying home where I'm on my current regime, my current program? So, I think I I do think there's been some clarification, at least. For you and I, to a degree, I think the problem that most fans will have is when you say this is about COVID and safety. It that doesn't feel genuine. It that that feels less than honest. I, I mean, I think that's part of it. I think part of it too is y- you did it in the off season. You did the virtual. You know, you did the virtual stuff, and and you know the season went off, and you know people think that it went really well, and. And player, and I understand players don't want to show up. I, I get that. I, I get the veteran players that don't want to. I do think there's merit, and I think there's value in being together, in working out together, in, in understanding football together. And I think there's real value for young players. And I think that's the one thing that, that would bother me as a veteran player is, hey, man, I've established myself. Like year seven, year eight for me, or year six, or year five even – did i need to do all that stuff no i knew what it took to get me ready to play and i'd already proven that i could play so did i need to go through all that no i didn't and i understand that aspect of it but i would say for young players i think it's important you know i mean all we heard here in Denver last year was wow this no off season and not being together really you know really did diminished or hurt the development of our offense and our young players. I mean, we had a young quarterback and young receivers and young this, that, and young tight end and, and a new offense. And, boy, it really put us behind the eight ball, right? And there, I mean, of course it did. It would be disingenuous to say that it didn't. And we saw that the teams that were established, that run the same system, that had the same coaches, the same quarterback, the same players, those teams adjusted better. Even Tom Brady early in the early in the season. I mean, I think he opened up the first weekend against New Orleans and threw three picks. He threw a pick six, at least two picks that I remember. I think three picks. But bottom line is, even they were eight and five before they went on their run to a world championship. So I, you know, I, all I, right. So it's a strange you? So are are you saying then that if the NFL came out over the next few days and said, okay, we'll put into place all the Testing and vaccinations that yeah. that you guys want. You think those teams and others will say, "Okay, we're good. Now we're gonna come in for the the full off program." See, I'm yeah, I'm skeptical. See, I'm skeptical by nature, right. and and to me, I see the simmering issues that the players have with ownership. Uh-huh. Right, that they feel that every negotiation they they take it in the shorts. They had a 17th game ramrodded through that a lot of these players don't want. They have, uh, a, I think, a very leery perception of their union boss and Demoris Smith, who I saw a quote from a, an NFL, unnamed NFL owner, who said, every NFL stadium should have a statue of Demoris Smith out in front of it for everything he has done for NFL owners. The perception is he's a patsy. So... Against the backdrop of all that, you're telling me yeah. that that this isn't part of a bigger power play or negotiating ploy by players oh. to just try to gain a, 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 a little bit more sense of control for how they spend their off seasons. Well, I think I think there's no question that 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 that's part that's part of the process. So should they be using though? Covid as no, a I don't, I don't think as you, a as right, a I don't a, think you know I don't well, an excuse or uh, a, a vehicle to get to that point. Uh, no, I mean everybody else has. I mean the politicians use it as an excuse. Uh, I mean businesses. How many people out there listening right now have either been outsourced, downsized, whatever because of Covid? Um, and I'm not saying it's not real, and I'm not saying people haven't lost money and, and companies haven't lost money. How many of you have gotten a promotion in title alone, but not any more money, and you have to do you know three times the work? I mean, that's that's part of that's part of the whole, you know, process of uh, of corporations. So um, do I think it's do I think that that fear and uh, safety um, is part of it? Yes. But do I think it's the whole part? No. And I think that the players saw that virtual could work for them. And that's all that and. They're good with that. They don't want... I mean, when I was playing, everybody lived in the town that you played in. Everybody did. Now very few guys do. You know, as soon as the season's over, they pack up and they go to wherever it is they live, their permanent homes, and they commute to their to the the place where they play. So it, guys don't want to leave. Guys don't want to... I understand that part. I do, I do understand that part. So we'll see exactly how they resolve it. But I, I do get this, Mike. I do get the fact that um, you want some control. You're you're locked into a collective bargaining agreement for what the next ten, eleven years. Um, so, this is the only way to get some of that control. And and the bottom line is, you you think you've proven that uh, off-season virtual programs work. So why would i why would i want to leave and i get that why would i want to leave my wife and my kids and their school district and i have to come out here and work out four days a week with the team when i can just work out at home and just get every every bit the workout in that i would if i was in the team facility so here and and you know what honestly if the players just came out mark and said hey we look around and see Hockey, basketball, Mm -hmm. and baseball. Yes. Do any of these other sports have an off-season program like we're expected to do? No. No. They show up for their training camp, and they go into their season. We want to have the same off-season. Trust us to be professionals to show up in shape, just like everybody else does in those other sports. And not only that, but, but don't put us through a program where some guys on the team get bonuses for showing up and other guys get nothing for showing up and and, and that that's if they just came out and said that i'd be a hundred percent on board with them but even in their statement the broncos statement that they made the broncos players statement as to why they were doing it they said COVID 19 remains a serious threat to our families and to our communities and it makes no sense for us as players to put ourselves at risk during this dead period—interesting use of words, right there in that statement by Bronco players during this dead period. That's a, that's telling me they feel this time mm-hmm. is a waste of time and it shouldn't be used doing what we're asked to do. Yeah, it's voluntary, but come on—you've said for years it's it's voluntary, it's mandatory, voluntary, right. it's mandatory, voluntary. And, and and here's the deal, though, like. If you have enough, you know pelts on the wall, um, and you're a highly paid player, you don't have to show up. Will the coaches be? Yeah, will the coaches be mad at you? Probably. Will Von Miller not make the team if he doesn't show up when they owe him eighteen million dollars? No, he's still going to make the team. So you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, I guess my thing would be don't limit the young players opportunity to get better and to collect a workout bonus in the off season by saying hey none of us are showing up so i don't know yeah like it's it's an interesting it's a really interesting discussion yeah and i'm curious to see how it plays out over the next uh, several days and week cuz i i think you're going to see a lot of teams follow suit I think so, too. I think there's no question. Hey, listen, for everybody involved in this Think of Truth podcast, uh, I am Mark Schlereth, Mike Evans, by my side, Scott the Hub, produced the show, Millennial Ben, Millennial ben helping out. I'd like to thank our uh, presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Superbook, um, America's Best Bet. Check out Superbook. For Mike, myself, thanks. We'll talk to you later.